Uh, we're in Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're going to look at, at uh, uh, the second half of verse 2, uh, verse, yeah, the second half of verse 2 for two weeks, because it, it contains a topic that I think is, oh, it's of some interest. <clears throat> Maybe it's of great interest. <clears throat> I can tell you this, that in terms of a, a counseling load, the, the question that, that comes up a whole lot is the one that's at least mentioned here in verse 2. So let me let me read to you uh, Romans 12, verse 2, and then I'll show you what it is that we're going to fix our attention on. Do not be conformed by, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now that's the part that everybody knows. That's the part that... Um, that everybody memorizes. Uh, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But there's a second half of this of this text that's that's not as well known, and um, and, and it contains something that's pretty um, pretty vitally important to just the living out of the Christian life. He says that by testing you, by, by that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, you notice, if you look at the text, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Now, that's the, that's the subject that comes up quite a bit um, in, the, in the minds of Christians. And um, we're going to look at some of the, um, oh, I don't know, maybe the how-tos, but that's going to be next week. Um, we, we start with kind of trying to lay a foundation on the whole subject of the will of God, and we'll come back next week and try to give you a, you know, a, um, a this, that, or the other in terms of what is God up to in my life and what is his will for me. So we'll come to that, but that's next week. The, um, the first thing that you need to see about this whole subject of the will of God is that um, finding this thing or knowing this thing or being in this thing called the will of God is the, is the object or it's the result of a transformed mind. Notice, um, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that or so that, by the testing of what, by, by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Knowing God's will, guys, is a result of having Having our minds transformed by His Word, um, there is um, there is a transformation that goes on in the mind of God's people uh, uh, as we as we know Him better that makes us able to detect and discern the will of God in a way that was completely impossible um, before my mind was transformed. One of the goals, or I should say the goal of having my mind transformed, guys, is so that I might know what is indeed God's will. The ultimate objective of the Christian life is to bring us into conformity with the will of God. That's what we're, that, that's what we're trying to arrive at by this whole process of, of transformation. The, the ultimate goal is not simply your transformation or a transformation of mind. But the goal of the transformation is the doing of the will of God. So this, this being transformed, uh, it has 
as a result, a hopeful and a wishful uh, and, a, and a productive result, and that is that it allows me to, to know and do and enjoy uh, the will of God in a way that I could not do apart from that transformation. Guys, the goal of our having been brought to faith in Christ, the goal of God bringing us to himself, is not so that we can escape hell. Now, that, that of course, is, is one of the results. Yes. And unfortunately, that's why... <laughs> What you see is, in, in the lives of many Christians, that's where they stop. That's as far as they get, is, okay, I, I prayed this prayer, and now I don't have to go to hell. Guys, that's, that's not, um, that's not the, the gist of the thing, I, um, you know? Um, I, I'll say this. When the non-Christian world evaluates us, one of the problems is they see no difference in us. And one of the reasons that they see no difference in us is because we have somehow gotten the notion that the only good that comes out of my real coming to Christ is that I don't go to hell. Guys, um, the... the you and I are supposed to be little representatives of this God on earth. And um, so his goal in bringing us to himself is so that we might be people who are aware of and are practicing this thing called his will. We're supposed to be fleshing that thing out. And so as a result of having minds transformed by the word, we be we are now able to to know this thing and do this thing that's called the will of God. Now, guys, when I get asked about what is God's will, that's not really what people have in mind. They're not trying to discover the great will of God so that they can. Um, what they want to know is who do I marry, or what job do I take. When they're when they're interested in the will of God, what they want to know is do I move to Boston. Or do I buy in Kyerville or Germantown? That's what they want to know. I heard John MacArthur say one time, and I forget the exact figure, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna really take the minimum, but I think he said, I think he said, 98%. But because I don't remember, I'll just say 90%. But I know that MacArthur said once, that 90% of the will of God is already made known to you. It's already made known to you guys. It's already available to you. You want to know some of the will of God? Okay. How about let's starting with Exodus chapter 20. Everybody realize what's in Exodus chapter 20? That's the first place that we find the Ten Commandments. Here's the will of God. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't lie. You should honor your father and your mother. You shouldn't covet. Uh, you should have no other gods before him. You should remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, clear as it can possibly be. No doubt in anybody's mind. There's the mind of God, the will of God. There it is, right there. But when people think about, I'm really trying to discover God's will, what they're thinking is, I want to know, you know, if I should marry this woman or not. 
Guys, 90% of his will is already made available to you. It's already here. It's clearly mapped out. There's not some, uh, you know, esoteric mystery that we have to pierce so that we can arrive at this mystical possession. 90% of it's right here for you. You want to see some more? Um, <clears throat> I tell you what, let's, uh, let me just show you this and see if you can find Titus chapter 2. Here's just another expression of this thing called God's will. Here it is. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He says, um, Oh, uh, God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. All right, guys, what are you supposed to be looking like? What are we supposed to look like if we have, if we have, if we are in this thing called the will of God, what are we supposed to look like? Well, one of the things that would characterize this is that we have a zeal. We have a zeal to produce things that would be that would qualify as something called good works. There it is, guys. There's another expression of God's will for you. You want to see one more? This is my favorite. Or, um, well, it certainly launches a big discussion. See if you can find First Thessalonians real quick. It's right before. Um, just a little bit before Titus, so it's real close. First Thessalonians chapter four. <clears throat> You've seen this before, I bet. First Thessalonians four, verse three. For this is the will of God. <laughs> is that clear now? Your sanctification. Do you know what God's will is for us, ladies and gentlemen? That we look like Jesus Christ. I, I will say this, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to alter this just a bit next week. So give me, give me uh, a pass a little bit. But very frankly, folks, um, I, I'm going to alter this a little bit. This is just to wake you up. I don't think God cares what job you perform. It's really not the issue. I don't, I don't think God cares whether you live in Syracuse or in Corinth. What he does care about, however, is your sanctification. And, and notice what he says here, too, guys. Um, he gives you a specific. Uh, God's will for us is, uh, is our sanctification. Everybody knows what that is. Everybody knows what sanctification is. And then he goes in and says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Clearly stated, sexual immorality has in no way at any time can ever be included in God's will for anybody who names the name of Jesus, okay? Um, 98% of his will is already here for you guys. It's already there. And it's the transformed mind that, that makes it possible to see it, to know it, and to do it. And that, folks, is the, um, is the goal of your having been brought to Christ, is so that you find yourself into conf in, in conformity with 
the, the will of God. Let me, let, me, let me state it like this, guys. There is no greater proof, I don't, I don't think, that someone has become a Christian than that they have changed their minds about the will of God. The, the non-Christian doesn't care a hoot about God's will because, very frankly, God's will um, violates theirs. I, I guess one of the dominant goals of the non-Christian, he simply wants to be happy. But one of the clearest evidences that I have been made new is that the will of God is really important to me. I want to find out what that is and, and I want to do it. A clear indication that I'm new is that I have a changed attitude about God's will. And so I want to know it and I want to do it. And I'm here to tell you that 98% of it is fully available to you, contained within the two binders of this book. It's there. Now, guys, um, go back to the text. Go back to Romans chapter 12. Um, and, and Paul admonishes us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, okay? Um, those two things, folks, are vastly different. I'm not supposed to be conformed to this world. I'm not supposed to be transformed. I want to read you some stuff. It's just, I thought it was a good illustration. But it has to do with what conversion does to how I view things. All right? This came out of a brochure. Um, James Boyce, do you all know the name Jim, Jim Boyce? Jim Boyce was the, the, the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He died of pancreatic cancer about four years ago. But he had a radio show called the Bible Study Hour. And he, uh, that, under the, under the name of Bible Study Hour, he produced this brochure. And in this brochure, what he did is that he compared the way that somebody is conformed to the world thinks as opposed to the way the transformed mind begins to think. And he, what he did is he compared those two minds in six areas. God, man, money, sex, Bible, and success. I, I'm not going to go to the whole brochure. I just want to give you a, a, just a smattering of what's said and, and how he compares. All right. This would be a... Um, Oh, I don't know, a, um, at least typical of a, a mind conformed to the world. Here it is. If I earn enough money, I'll be happy. I need money to provide security for me and my family. Financial security will protect me from hardship. Now, then in that same brochure, he, he offers this in its place. He says, Money cannot shield us against heartbreak, failure, sin, disease, or disaster. Now, now you can quibble about those being a little bit overstated and all that, but but the the point is that he's making is a wonderful one. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in how a mind that is conformed to this world thinks over something like money and how a mind that's being transformed thinks about something like money. It's a pretty important commodity, don't you think? How about this one? 
this is again an example of uh, a, a conform. Anything is acceptable as long as it doesn't hurt another person. Ladies and gentlemen, I've had that said in my office before when people are having an affair. Yeah, it didn't hurt anybody, you know. My wife doesn't know a thing about this. I mean, what's the big deal about that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody? Boyce offers this in response. God is the sovereign over all of life and the one who defines right and wrong. Uh, um, those being conformed to the world think, the only thing that is, uh, is a determiner of what's right and wrong is whether anybody gets hurt by that or not. It doesn't hurt anybody. Well, it's all fine. And yet those who are concerned about discovering the will of God, they say, they say something different, vastly different, ladies and gentlemen. They say something like this. They say, God is the author of all of life. He is sovereign over it all. And he is the one who determines right from wrong. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I don't care what you say, what you think about abortion. I don't care. I don't care whether you're a pro or you're con. I don't care. What I want to know is, what does God say about it? Because He is the sovereign over all of creation and He defines right and wrong. It doesn't matter what we think, ladies and gentlemen. Is the will of God important to us? I don't care what you think about homosexuality. I don't care about your relatives who perhaps have veered off in that direction. I don't care. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, you shouldn't care either. What we should care about is this sovereign over all of creation. What has he said? Because my mind has to be brought into conformity with his mind. And then I will find myself in the will of God. That's where it is. It doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. I, I will say this. I gotta add this real quick. My my daughter lives in Washington D.C. And um, I, I this is kind of an aside. This is kind of veering into stupidity for me. <laughs> um, but my daughter lives in Washington D.C. Uh, my my granddaughter's birthday was today. She was born on 11 11. Um, and so I called up there to talk to my little one-year-old granddaughter, and she didn't talk to me because she doesn't talk. But, I mean, um, she talks. But, she, but anyway, <clears throat> um, I was talking to Meg, my daughter, and she said, it's Memorial Day in D.C. And she said, um, there's a church in D.C., and they've jammed up Union Station. Um, a church from, I, I want to say, Omaha. I know you've heard of this place because I, I had heard of it. I, it might be... I might have that wrong. It might be Kansas City or Tulsa or something like that. It's one of those things. And they had bust themselves or bust people around the country and they had jammed up Union Station. And they were, they were, they were, um, what's the word? Demonstrating. She said she saw this. Now, I, you know, I've read this in a book before, and I just can't imagine that it really happens. But apparently, she said she's, she said it was the ugliest thing, and she said uh, they were 
they were demonstrating with holding up placards saying, fags will burn in hell. Now, I want to understand how you're going to get that if you're interested in the will of God. I want to understand, how did you, where did you, where did you, how did you get to that place by reading this book? How did you get there? Because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you had to do some real biblical gymnastics and trample on a whole lot of very important stuff to come to the place where you will hold up a placard and say something that got awful. But ladies and gentlemen, let me say it again. There is no greater proof that someone has become a Christian than they have a changed mind about the will of God. I don't want to vent my irritations. I want to know what he says. And I want to bring my mind into conformity with his. And then, then I got that 98% of his will. I got it. I got two more. Uh, uh, these, this is right in this brochure by boys. Um, success is the path to fame, wealth, pleasure, and power. Look out for number one. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I mean, do you work with anybody like that? Anybody you know that has that kind of mentality? <laughs> this is what he offers in, in reply. Success in God's kingdom means humility and service to others. You see what, 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 um, this is what God, what, I'm, I'm supposed to be this little representative of God's on earth, and, and, and the thing that, that He deems as greatness has to do with humility, and it has to do with service. But, Success is the path to fame, wealth, pleasure, and power. Look out for number one. Where do you think that came from? Here's the last one. Um, <laughs> he says, I matter most, and the world exists to serve me. Whatever satisfies me is what's important. That's an evidence, he voice would say, of a mind that's conformed to this world. And then he offers in, in reply, that is, a transformed mind would talk something like this. I belong to God, body and soul, and I exist to bring Him glory. Do you see why, guys, um, <clears throat> there's no greater proof of my having been made new by the power of the Holy Spirit, then, then these things which reveal my conformity or my transformity and my being transformed leads me into this place where I am displaying and doing and performing the will of God. Can you see how opposite they are? That, that's really the only point I was trying to make. You know, one, one of them seems to float down the river and the other one has to fight upstream. But they're vastly different. They're vastly, they're worlds apart. And, and yet, guys, 
um, because we are so immersed, we, we've been so influenced by the world and we look so little like Jesus Christ, even, even those of us who, you know, us, we, um, we Christians find this unappealing. Very frankly, success is the path to fame, wealth, pleasure, and power. That's a whole lot more appealing than success in God's kingdom means humility and service to others. Isn't it? Which, which one of those two appeals to you most? Well, so we're in this process of being made new, being made different, being made brought into conformity with that which is um, called this will of God thing. And so one of the clearest proofs that we've been made new is that that thing called the will of God has become much more important to me and much more beautiful to me. That's what I want. Now, guys, um, I got about 11 minutes left, and 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 I, I just want to leave you with um, just a just a series of oh, I don't know. Just do you know what introspection is? <laughs> introspection is when we when we take some kind of something and we use it to examine ourselves. Um. That, that's what I want to offer you. Just Here's the first one. Tell me, what have you found to be true by being conformed to this world? What's been your experience? What, what has it gotten you? What has it brought to you when you, when you, um, when you think like... Um, the text, when you think like the world, what has it gotten you? Where has it taken you? What good has it done you? What, what benefit have you derived? Can you, can you, can you, can you think of anything? Um, when you chose to go contrary to that which was revealed as the will of God, what did it get you? How much benefit was derived by doing that? Was that choice a good one, do you think? Was it? Did it help you? Did it, did, it, did it improve your marriage or did it harm it? Um, <clears throat> but in contrast to that, here's, the other, here's another question. What has doing the will of God gotten you? in those rare instances where we did it. What did that bring? Um, was it... Was it peaceful? Was it um, healing? Was it... Um, did it produce good? Was there any joy attached? Was there, um, was there a certain sense of satisfaction deep at a deep level? Was, was there any of that in when I, when I discovered the will of God and did it? <clears throat> then, then why, 
how do we explain our um, our choosing to do otherwise, to do anything other than God's revealed and expressed will in His Word? I, I can tell you this, guys. Um, <clears throat> The will of God always looks looks I mean, it looks it looks to be the poor choice at least in the beginning, particularly when you're young. <laughs> um, can can I say that again? If if you're comparing the the uh, the, the choice of doing God's will and the choice that would uh, be dictated by conformity to the world, this is always going to look better at least in the beginning. And particularly when you're young. Isn't it? Hasn't it? I mean, can't you remember? Don't you have those things stored in your memory bank, the the, uh, the willful things that you've done and what, where it took you and what it got you? But in the beginning, it looked like the best choice. Um... His will it, in the beginning oftentimes doesn't, doesn't seem to be good. Uh, it seems to be if I choose that, it'll cramp my style. Um, again, particularly in, in, in my youth, if I, if I go in that direction, it will cramp my style. You know, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I have regrets about my high school and college days. Do you? I still bear some of the scars of my decisions that I made in my high school and college days. You? I've got a friend who is in Atlanta, and he, I think I told you this before, but he was a consistent Christian all through high school and all through college. He led this big group of something or other, I think it was FCA, I don't at the University of Alabama. Imagine that. Um, <clears throat> but um, I, I, I wish you could compare our ministries side by side today. And and I'm not talking about size. I'm just talking about the fruitfulness. The, um, (laughs) this guy, (laughs) I won't tell you his name, but uh, he plays tennis. He's real good. He's a real good tennis player. And they said, I'm going to call him Bob. That's not his name. But they say, they say about Bob, if you don't want to become a Christian, don't play tennis with Bob. Because God has used Bob on that tennis court so widely. Um, and, and I think part of the explanation, not all of it, but part of the explanation is I still bear the scars of foolishnesses that I chose in high school and college. Do you have any of those regrets? I mean, forgiven, it's not going to, you know, yes indeed. But ladies and gentlemen, what did it get us? What did choosing to go outside the will of God get us? Huh? Was it good? Was it productive? Was it happy? Was Was it beneficial? Did the marriage improve or did it go the other way? All because... I um I chose to go in a different direction. There's there's 
Two things I want to show you before we quit. Notice the text says um, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see that? Um, Good and acceptable to whom? It's not God, ladies and gentlemen. That, that would be redundant. That's obvious. The will of God is, 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 of course, good and acceptable to God. It, it's not that, that after I'm transformed and I discover this will of God and I do it, that it's good and acceptable to God. It's that it's good and acceptable and perfect to me. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the more we discover the beauty of righteousness, does it not encourage us to say, I want more of that righteousness stuff. That's what's good, and that's what's acceptable, and that's what's perfect. That I even come to the place one day when I say, oh my, how I love God's will. It's, it's good, and it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I bet you everyone in this room would say that. When I did it on that rare occasion, when I did it, oh my. It was good and it was acceptable and it was perfect. The bad and the unacceptable and the imperfect was when I chose to go the other way. Is that not our experience? I think it is, ladies and gentlemen. Many of us still bear the scars of our um, of our being deluded and duped by doing things that we knew were outside, apart from, or contrary to the will of God. I want to close by by reading you something from Robert Candlish. Robert Candlish was an old Scottish uh, preacher slash theologian. Um, in fact, he's written some hymns. There's some of his hymns in in our um, in our hymnal but some of his language i'm going to i'm going to change it up just a little bit because he's scottish and he says things that we wouldn't understand so i just i'll alter it just a little bit but listen to what he says it's it's brief of the fashion of the world it may be truly said that the more you try it the less you find it to be satisfying ain't that the truth let me ask you, um, all the money that you've been making, has it really brought what you thought it was going to bring? Did it really do what you thought it was going to do? This is so... Per- of the fashion of the world, it may truly be said that the more you try it, the less you find it to be satisfied. Isn't that so? It looks good. It looks fair. Not like fair in, in terms of equitable, but fair. it looks fair as the as, as in beautiful. It looks good. It looks fair at first. But who that has lived long has not found it to be vanity at last? <laughs> How long do you have to live until you say something like that? Yeah. I um, had a man tell me uh, when I was in Ocala, he was, uh, I was like 27 and he was like 
25, and he told me he was going to be a millionaire by the age of 30. And he was. And um, cost him his marriage. His family doesn't speak to him. And ultimately, he lost the million. And he remarried. And he's, um, God has granted him a second opportunity. But I'm telling you, he doesn't talk like that anymore. How long do you have to live until you know? Choosing that, it does nothing but harm me. He goes on. It is altogether otherwise with the will of God. That often looks worst at the beginning. It seems hard and dark. But on. On with you in the proving of it. Prove it patiently, perseveringly, with prayer and pains. And you will get growing clearness, light, enlargement, and joy. You will more and more find that the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. For wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't believe there's a person in here who couldn't stand up here for five minutes and tell you tell us how you learned that lesson the hard way. All of us. All of us were foolish enough to think it's easier going that way, and we bear the scars to prove it. And so... What Paul is pleading for in this last half of verse 2 is that the more our minds are transformed and brought into conformity with this book, then the will of God becomes not only more discernible, more detectable, more seeable. It becomes our greater love. To the point that we say one day, Oh, how I love thy law. Our Father, um, forgive us. Um, we're, we're grateful that you have restored us and put us back on a path of righteousness. But Lord, that those times where we chose otherwise, we, we bear the scars to prove it. We, we learn lessons the hard way when they could have been learned differently. But now we, um, we've lived a little bit longer. We're, um, we're a little bit wiser. And we are coming more and more to see that the path that's marked off by your word, your will, is pleasant. All of its ways are pleasantness. And that the, the pain, the, uh, the heartache, the hardship is a part of um, choosing to do what we know not to be your will. Choosing to have the world press us into its mold. So, Father... Our, um, I, I pray that you would increase our appetites, our, our appetites to know more and more what you've said, what you like, what you love, so that we can indeed find the great beauty of walking in that path, 
coming to the place where we might even say one day, Oh, oh, how I love your law. Bring us to that place, O oh God, by fresh effusions of grace. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.